This is the topic for our conversation today. Changing behavior, changing thinking, becoming something that we're not now, moving from A to B, from here to there. And I don't think I have to convince you and spend a lot of energy trying to convince you that this may be the toughest thing we face as human beings, trying to change trying to change those those things that perhaps nobody else knows about, those inner things. Perhaps they're small. Perhaps they're huge. Perhaps it's just an attitude. Perhaps it's a, a, a thought pattern. Perhaps it's an addiction. It can be a wide range of things that we tackle when it goes to change. And when it comes to change, it is often that we look to ourselves to make that change. In fact, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we we try to make those types of changes in our life and we fail and we fail again and we fail again and then it becomes frustrating and then it just becomes this deeply embedded thing that we just can't change. But you see that the story of Jesus is that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then once he, once he found us, then he began to change us, to transform us. We've been in this conversation about becoming and we've gone through each of what we call marks or measures here at our church. They're, they're marks that we believe that as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, that these are the things he's looking for. It's probably not a comprehensive list or else it had 4,800 things on it. But we believe that it captures the most basic fundamental parts of our lives relationally. We have a, an up relationship with God. We have an in relationship with other believers in our spiritual family we call it church we also have a relationship with those outside these four walls the world and the, those who have yet to believe in christ yet and we've gone through each we've taken a week for each of these that we should be umbilically reliant upon god that we he asked for our total our all of our strength all of our heart all of our mind all of our soul that he is asking for commitment in all those areas we, we learn about our, uh, to, within the body of Christ, within the church, within our spiritual family, that we should be tribal, that someone should carry firewood, someone should carry, uh, water, some, with, we all contribute, we all make, a, the, the body of Christ come together, that we should contribute something and, and serve and, and give to be part of a tribe. We also know that as we grow older and, and become more seasoned as Christians, we're not supposed to just be take her inners but give her outers we should be influential and then when it comes to being outside the four walls that we should own personally the gospel that it wasn't just for us but we should personally feel the weight of the gospel that we've been rescued and now we are messengers and carriers of the message of uh, uh, of rescue and that that, that uh, it is not just about doing nice things and being nice people in the community acts of mercy but we are vocal with the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe those are the very fundamental things that we're aiming for. The challenge for us then, at when we, we've spent six weeks on this, is that these are the what. This is what we're aiming for. But if you've been around for any amount of time, you know that we can't stop with that. Because I believe strongly in the how. And that means that when you get in your car and you drive home, that there has to be some practical level of like, how do I do this? How do I become more like Christ, more like God? How do I change behavior? How do I change my thinking? How do I do that? 
So for the next few weeks, we're going to look just at, at that topic because I believe if we don't, then we just leave it at this lofty concept that you think, well, that's, that's a should do, but I'm not sure that I can do it. And for me, that's just frustrating. When, when I come to any uh, church or if I'm, I'm coming to any, I'm listening to someone, I'm reading something, if someone doesn't break it down for me in my everyday Monday through Friday life and I know exactly what to do about that and how I can apply it to my life, then it just becomes this frustrating thing, this big concept, and we're just not about that. So we're going we're gonna to dive down and say, how do we do this? How do we make change in our life? How do we become more and more like God? Well, as we start this, this extension of our marks, this, this conversation, we want to begin with the most obvious. And the obvious thing that is that we are natural beings. We have natural emotions, natural ways of thinking. We have natural ways of acting. And we understand that we as human beings are limited. Most of you are sitting in this room, I'm imagining, because you're, you're followers of Jesus Christ. And at one point in your life, you understood that you could not earn your way to heaven, that you could not make it on your own, that you couldn't do enough good to outweigh your bad, or you've asked yourself, is my bad outweigh my good? And and you came to that place where you say, man, I cannot save myself. I cannot rescue myself. I am only a natural, normal, ordinary human being with, with lungs and heart and kidney and bones and teeth and eyebrows and all those things. That we have to go beyond the natural. In other words, Christ came to save the world. Someone from the outside had to step into the, the deep end of the pool and save us that were drowning, which is the, the human race. And we say, we use the word natural and above natural, we use the word supernatural. Now, unfortunately, that word can, can conjure up some some dark and creepy pictures. You may think, oh, I'm going to go see a movie and it's about the supernatural and it's it's some horror movie or something like that. But supernatural just simply means that it is above, it's supra, it is above natural, it is outside our realm. And if natural beings are going to have any shot at being able to make any lasting eternal change we must go beyond our natural self and tap into the above natural, the supernatural power of God. Now that seems like an obvious statement for Christ followers and an obvious thing, almost a thing that you would expect from a pastor to say that we must tap into the power of God. So I would say this morning, let's take it to a practical level because when you talk about the power of God, wow, talk about a big concept. How do we break that down in our everyday life? How do we tap into the power of God? When we look at this list of, of, of becoming, we must say, man, I've got to go beyond myself. Even organizations outside the church like AA understand this, that they have, you've heard of the 12 steps. And the first step is that I am, have to admit that I am powerless And the next step is that I must understand that there is a power greater than myself. There is this sense of I can't do it and I need someone from the outside above my natural self to help me out. Of course, we define that power as a person of of Jesus Christ who has the power. It's not just some generic power, but it is a personal uh, being. It It is Christ, the creator of this world, who owns the power. 
So we understand, just like other organizations, like, man, we must reach out beyond ourselves. So let me begin by saying this. It's a little bit deep, but I'll break it down. That that transformation is 3D. It's three-dimensional. Here's what I mean. That there is something that happens in an instant. There is something progressive, and there's something that's ultimate. I'm a dad. When you become a parent... You don't become a parent at the moment of birth. You become a a parent at the moment of conception. Now, I know that's a controversial topic in today's American culture. But if you ask any mom, and we've got a lot of expectant moms in this place. I don't know what's in the water, but all of a sudden, we're having a lot of babies around here. I had someone today said, hey, we're growing the church. We're we're hanging. We're we're keeping up our end. I'm like, hey, keep going, man. You ask any mother who's one week pregnant, are you a mother yet? Are you waiting until the labor room? The answer is extraordinarily obvious. That in that instant, when you have that baby in the womb, you know in that moment that you are a mother. Now, men are, well, we're stupid. (laughs) So sometimes it doesn't hit us until the labor room you know what i mean and 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 many men would share the same experience i had you know we're rolling the camera we're eating a, a hershey candy bar we're just having a blast you know but you can't let on that you're having a blast you're just like you know you're kind of agonizing along but inside you're like this is really cool <laughs> but the mom is not saying that it's just uh but something happens in that moment where you see the baby's face, in that moment, as a man, you see it. And, and the first thing that comes to your mind is, uh-oh, I've got to grow up. You're right, as a man? I've got to grow up. I'm now an adult. I have a human being that I've got to take care of. And there's just something that surges through your mind like this big uh-oh, like megaphone or something. But instantly, you're positioned as a father. Then what happens is you're not super dad yet. You begin learning a lot of things, and you progress into becoming a father. And even dads sitting in the room right now that have a 20-year-old, that have a 30, a 40-year-old as a son or daughter, you would say you're still learning how to be a better father. See, becoming something... It's sometimes instantly positioned, but then you have to grow into that position. And then there's ultimate, like, man, when you're a granddad, it just seems like you have it together. And you look back and think, man, had I known that as a father, I would have done it better, right? For all the granddads sitting in the room. But it's not entirely fair because you get to drop the kids off and go home after it's all over with. When you become a Christian, you are instantly positioned in a radically different place. Watch this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22. If you got your Bible, your phone, your iPad, you might want to take a look today. And let me say before we read this verse that perhaps you're here today exploring God and you're searching for Him. We do in most every service. And you may be sitting here thinking, man, I, I know that in the deepest part of me there is a separation from me and God. And I will say to you that God did not create you. That you should wonder 
all of your life, am I in or out? What kind of God would that be? See, that's religion. That's what, that's what human beings come up with to make you wonder so that they can leverage the worst of them to try to get the best of you. It doesn't work that way. What kind of God would make you wonder if your goods outweighed your bads? That if your bads were worse than your goods or they were better than your goods? What God would make you wait until after your dying breath to find out whether or not you scored high enough to get in? I don't want to have any relationship with a God who's like that. I don't know about you. But see, our God, the God of the uh, the living God of the scriptures, the living God who made heaven and earth, the living God that made you, the living God that knew you before you took your first breath said, I want you to know, and I want you to know that you're positioned so that you can progress in that position so that we can have some jazz together on this lifetime. Jesus said eternal life starts now. It doesn't start when you take your last breath. It starts now to know me and to be in rhythm with me and to have some assurance that you can't wait to get to heaven. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Where I am going, you will come with me if you embrace me as your Savior. Watch this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Wonderful. But now God has reconciled you. That means he's repaired the fence. He's repaired the gap. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to position you, to present you holy, without blemish, without one single spot of blemish, without, and it's absolutely, utterly free from accusation. See, you may not be feeling that way because you're still in your natural body. You're saying, oh, I know all my stuff. I know all my junk. I know all my closet stuff. But God says, because of what Christ did in his physical body, I'm seeing you through the lenses of Christ's sacrifice and his blood on the cross. And when you embrace that, then I look at you without anything against you whatsoever. And now you are solidly and unmovably and eternally positioned before God absolutely without blemish. That, my friends, is great news. And if you're here today and you're in that mode of like wondering, isn't it awful? Honestly, I went three years really seeking God and wondering if I were in or out until someone shared the words with me that I just share with you. And I'm like, really? You can know. God wants you to know. He positions you. So if you, when you accept Christ and you exchange your old life and you get his new one, you are positioned before God. And now he says, now let's progress in who you already are. You see, before we come to Christ, God is doing everything he can to help you come to Christ. And once you come to Christ, he does everything he can to allow you to become like Christ. You see, you're coming to Christ so you can become like Christ. See how God does that? So watch this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, speaking now to those who are already positioned as believers in Christ, 
For those who God foreknew, he already knows who's going to choose him. He doesn't make you choose or else we wouldn't have a choice, but he already knew that. What he predestined for us in Romans 8.29, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined us to be conformed, to be changed, to become like the likeness of his son. What he's not saying is that he's, that he's come inside of us to make you nicer, to make you have behavioral change. See, too many Christians are trying to do behavioral modification and becoming something. Of course, change includes a change of conduct and a change of character. That's what, that's what transformation is. But God never says to us, I'm asking you to do it all by yourself. We will play a part in it. We'll see that a few weeks ago or a few weeks in advance. But God is saying to let's begin with you understanding that true change, everlasting change comes from the inside out. When I think of these marks that we've gone through, umbilical and total and tribal, influential, personal, and vocal, and I think of the life of Jesus and what we're being told here is that we are transforming to be like him. And so I think about it. I think, well, Jesus was really umbilical. He got up every morning, early, we're told, frequently, and went out and said, Father, I can't do this without you. You remember Jesus said, hey, the words that I'm saying to you, they're they're the words that I'm getting from my father. He just proved over and over that he had this umbilical relationship to the father. And certainly we understand that he gave his all. If he didn't give his all, none of us would be sitting here, by the way. He was tribal. The very first thing that Jesus did want, the starting line of his ministry, is that he formed a small group. Some people say, are small groups biblical? Oh, yeah. Jesus was the first small group leader. Didn't know if you knew that. First thing he says was, hey, let's let's gather a small tribe of 12 people. And certainly he was influential. He influenced these uh, 12 men, 11 of them uh, it took. Uh, he influenced these 11 men and others, and they changed the world. He was personal in the way he, he operated in the world. He went out and said, man, I'm going to sit with the sinners. I'm going to sit with the adulterers and the tax collectors. And not only he was doing nice things, but he vocalized the, the message of rescue to them. So when I look at these marks, I say, hey, man, I want to be more like Jesus And because I want to be more like Jesus, then these are the things that I'm going to do. And if I want to be more like Jesus, if I want to change and modify and become more like him, guess who I'm going to hang out with more? I'm going to hang out with him. You see, when Christ came back from the dead, the common way to look, the most fundamental way to look at the resurrection, when Jesus came back from the dead in a bodily fashion, not a spirit, but his body came back from the dead, the most most common way to look at that is that when Christ came back, we understand that we have confirmation of, of eternal life, that it just didn't stop here, that God, that, that Christ went past the walls of death and came back to prove to us that life goes on. We know that. That is, that is, a, 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 that is one of the most fundamental things of the resurrection. But I feel like one of those TV ads. But wait, there's more. See, the resurrection, you remember before the resurrection, Jesus said these words, it is good for you that I go. Of course, it was good for us that he go, that he went because he had to die on the cross for our sins, to shed his blood, to cover all of our sins. But he was also saying, it's good for me to go to experience the death and to come back so that I can position myself as the great distributor 
of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that's way past our capacity, but listen. If Christ were laying in a grave somewhere in the Middle East right now, he could not distribute the power of God into your life. It is beyond human capacity, but when Christ came back from the dead, he was raised from the dead and he went to be in heaven so that he could be globally positioned that whoever comes to him, he begins to say, I can distribute and share with you the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and empower you with the power of God to change and modify some certain things in your life. He would say to us clearly, don't try this at home on your own. Watch this, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. Paul, who's writing this, is writing to those who already believe. And because they already believe, the Bible tells us that when we reach out by faith and exchange our old life for Christ's new one, supernaturally, above naturalness, Christ sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in us and ignites new life, and new capacity in us as human beings. It is like an unlimited bank account that God has has given to us at our disposal. Watch this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul says, let me pray something for you. He says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Not for those who don't believe. It is only the password for this bank account is for us to come in faith and and accept Christ into our life. And then at that point, we have access to an unlimited capacity of God's power. Watch this. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. In other words, he's saying, Paul's saying, I'm praying that you will understand the incredible account from which you can draw that you will have the power of God in your life. The challenge for us is that even though we have this, we have the password for this incredible account, we often try to do it on our own. How about you? It's right there. It's those things that we, we try to change like, ah, man, I just can't do it. You know, sometimes it's, it's in your, if you're married, it's in your marriage that that, that your spouse is the great pointer outer, right? It works both ways. And there are those things in our life that we say, man, there it is again. And there it is again. And there it is again. It's that that thing. And everybody's got a different thing. So my wife and I were just having this conversation about when I get wounded or I get hurt, I get broody. And uh, I know no man, no man in this room understands broodiness. I'm probably the only one. But we become like cavemen, and uh, and and when we're wounded, you know, we kind of go in our cave, and 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 then when you know our wives ask us, "Hey, any everything okay?" Oh yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm, just perfect. They can tell, right? They can tell. And we just had this conversation this morning, as a matter of fact. And I'll tell you what she did. She, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I saw you perk up. I, I saw you perk up. <laughs> she said, it's being, tra- you know, I'm transparent with you. I'm a human being like you are. I got my thing. I got my things. 
And if I don't say that, you're going to think, well, gosh, man, I'm really, I, I must be really broken. She said, that's really wounding, you know, when you kind of go in your cave and, and we can't talk about things. And I said to her, you know what? Because I, I, the, the incident happened a couple of days ago. And I, I said to God, I went to God in prayer. And I said, God, I can't do, I can't change this on my own. I can't read a book about debrooding. I can't do, you know, 15 push-ups and become a non-brooder. I can't, I don't want to join non-brooders anonymous or brooders anonymous. I said, God, I'm coming to you and I want you to empower me to come out of my cave. I wonder which man I just rang your doorbell. I just, I wonder what that thing is. And, and in your life, you've been like, man, I can do this. I can tackle this. I can overcome this. And God says, he let me have a shot at it because I've got this bank account. And Paul's saying, I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power that raised Christ from the dead. And now he's ready to distribute it to you. And you already have the password. It's Christ crucifixion and you say I'm coming through the and the name of Christ that's the password and he gives it to you today we're going to look at what I'm going to call the tale of two coats you've heard the tale of two cities we're going to look at two guys and I believe that these guys will help us understand how to tackle this in a more practical way David and Gideon they're two warriors that are listed in the Bible if you don't know the if you're not familiar with the Bible both of them had something in common they lived at two different places on the timeline of history but they had something both of them had something in common they were positioned instantly in a place that they didn't see coming David was given a kingship right away and he was like wow didn't see that coming and then he had to progress in who God had already called him to be. Gideon was a grain grinder. <laughs> he was he was doing his thing one day, and God comes along and says, Gideon, mighty warrior. Oh, okay. Instantly it's like, oh, I'm a dad. Uh, instantly I'm a mighty warrior. He wasn't a mighty warrior when God called him, but God said, I'm positioning you as a mighty warrior. Now I'm going to have you grow into it. Both of these guys had that in common. Here's another thing they had in common. They both had opposition that was absolutely monumental. David had his Goliath, nine foot tall, big guy, strapping. David was not so big. Gideon had was facing armies. The armies were Amalekites and Midianites, the enemy armies, and we're told in the scriptures in the book of Judges that you couldn't even count the camels. And he just had just a smaller, smaller army, and, and God called him to fight this incalculable army. So both of them had this thing in common. And I would propose to you that you have in common with them what they had in common with each other, that you've been positioned as a follower of Christ, and now we're progressing in that position, in that thing that God's called us to do. And secondly, when it comes to changing things in our life, whatever that is, I think you would agree with me that they're often a Goliath. They seem like we can't conquer it. And God would say, bingo, you can't on your own. And they seem so big. Watch this. 
We're gonna we're gonna land in First Samuel chapter seventeen. If you have your 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 Bible or your device, if you want to take a look, First chapter First uh, Samuel chapter seventeen. Now, if you don't know the Bible, First Samuel is a book in the Bible. There are sixty six books contained in the Bible. Seventeen means it's the seventeenth chapter in the book of, of Samuel. And the reason I'm saying that is, this is the chapter where David fights Goliath. In the chapter before, in First Samuel chapter sixteen. There's a prophet, his name is Samuel, and he comes and he anoints David as king. He's not even, he's not even officially king yet, but from God's heart, he's already made, he's already positioned him to be king. And now he's about to grow into it. Chapter after chapter after chapter that comes after this, before he's officially king, God is progressively transforming him to be the king of, of Israel. So here he is and he comes up and he's getting ready to fight Goliath right here in chapter 17. Have you ever noticed that when these things that these Goliaths in your life, these things you want to change, that one of the primary reasons that makes it difficult is people around you, maybe they've told you that you'll never change. Not only have they convinced you, but they've embedded in you that this is who you are. This is who you always will be. When I sit across the coffee table from somebody and they say, this is my father told me. My whole life, you're a loser. And there's come, there comes a point where that, that person has not only believed it, but they've embedded it in their life. And they believe with everything they are, they, they, they see themselves as a loser. It's those tough things in life where, where God says, I want a different voice in your life. I want a different voice in your life. You know, it's, it, it there are times where, where, you know, in the heat of battle, you'll say, well, you're always that way. You always say that. And then, you know, there's never and always, you know, when our emotions rise. And somewhere in the, in the book of man, you know, uh, the, the manual that should be written for man, there should be a chapter on stupidity, right? For, for, for us men. And one of the things that would go to the top of that list is never ever say to your wife, you're acting like your mother. That is just, you know, that is way out of limits. And it's true for us, too. You know, if a wife tells your, the husband, you're acting just like your dad or your mom or so-and-so, it's just a wounding thing. And it's and and so that was free of charge for those of you who just got married, for men. Yeah, no, no extra charge for that. So David is getting ready to step into the ring, so to speak, with Goliath. And his boss gives him these words in 1 Samuel 17, 33. You are not able. Thanks a lot. Now I'm ready to step in. Way to go. Feeling fueled. Feeling courage. You are not able, David, to go out against this Philistine, Goliath, and fight him. See, you're just a young punk. It's basically what he's saying. You're just a young punk. You can't do anything. You're too weak, you're unable, you don't have the capacity, you don't have anything it's going to take to fight this battle. And by the way, this guy, you haven't seen his resume, I guess. He's been a warrior since his youth. Can't you feel Saul? I just feel the story sometimes. You know, you got to take the words off the page, you know. He's like saying to David, you're, you know, you're not able. And, and, and by the way, you know, you're just a young punk. And then he, he got, probably got right close to his face. 
And this guy's been a warrior. You know, kind of emphasizing warrior since his youth. Now you go out there and you get him. Often we believe we can't become anything different because someone else's voice has been embedded. And sometimes, here it comes, sometimes that voice is ours. We have convinced ourselves, I'm a young punk, I'm nothing. And God says, oh, let me change that. Because I see you positioned far different than a loser. I did not come to die for losers. So watch this. Isn't it funny how we spiritualize things? We tell somebody they can't do anything, then we say, God bless you. I'm praying for you. Appreciate it, man. Watch this. Crazy. In verse 37, 1 Samuel chapter 17, Saul said to David, after he had just raked him over the coals and made him like filled low as dirt, he said, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. <laughs> oh, good. Because now I'm feeling great about it, right? Then watch this. Actually, I'm going to back up to 1 Samuel 17 verse 5. Look at verse 5 because this, this is important because I'm going to come back to this. Here's Goliath's uh, superhero costume. Watch this. Goliath, in a fireless, had a bronze helmet on his head. And he wore a coat of scale army, armor of bronze weighing 125 pounds. This was Goliath's natural strength. His height and his costume. What's yours? See, all of us have a costume that we wear at times. Maybe it's your smartness. Maybe it's your experience. Maybe it's your eloquence. Maybe it's your uh, your cleverness. Maybe it's your salesmanship, your charisma. Maybe it's a painful chapter in your past that anytime things get tough, you'll just pull that out as your armor. And Goliath had this armor. He said, man, I've got a bronze helmet and this huge Armor, 125 pounds. Now let's skip down to 1737. Saul said to David, God bless you. Go and the Lord be with you. And then watch, watch what happens. Here's the tale of two coats. Here's the first coat. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. You know why? Because we look at the world and see how they do it. And then we say, well, we'll do it like the world. Here's how Goliath. Goliath has got a bronze helmet and Goliath has got a big, uh, a, a big armor. So we must do it that way too. So I, I pulled out two armors of my closet. I'm sorry. This is just going to have to do. So he puts, so Saul says, Hey, I want you to try this big armor on. I know it's really silly, but, um, is it hard to take anything I'm saying seriously at this moment? So can we bring that verse back up? I feel like, you know, I have a stiff neck, but it's just the coat. Cause if I turn, I can't see it. You see how that goes? So he put this big coat of armor only because Goliath had it on his head and David fastened the sword over the tunic and he tried walking around in this big thing. And because he was not used to them, he said, I can't fight in these because these things are just natural. 
They're not supernatural. And he said, because I'm not used to them. So he did the thing that we must do practically first. Whatever that thing, that, that natural thing that we're holding on to, to get us through to move, he took it off and said, this ain't working for me. See, whatever that thing that's your armor that you can hide behind and you think that's the thing that's gonna, gonna make it through, you will never experience the full power of God in your life as long as you have one ounce of reliance on that armor. The very first step is to strip. Don't quote me on that in Twitter, please. <laughs> to strip away that reliance. On natural self. Now let's compare it to the other warrior we're going to talk about today. Gideon, Judges chapter 6, if you're with me in the, in the Bible today. Judges 6. Same set of circumstances. Instantly positioned. Facing just this, this monumental thing brooding, selfishness, whatever that Goliath is. Now watch what happens. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the enemy troops, all of them, watch. And more than these guys, the people of the East, they came together. This is that part of the movie, you know, where you know the good guys crest the hill and they look out and there's more than you can ever count. And everybody goes, uh-oh, you know that moment? That's this moment right here. And they crossed the Jordan. They were getting closer. They were now in home territory. And they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Watch. Different armor. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. You see, this is the second coat. We must take off the coat of our our own reliance. And we say, God... I want to put on your clothing. I want you to clothe me today in the power of God. Because when we clothe with the power of God, it's nice and tight and snug. You know why? Because it's custom fit. Because God knows our weakness. I don't know your weakness. I don't know what it is but in the inner, the most interior part of you. But God knows it. He sees it. So he says, let me clothe you. And I, then you'll be able to change. Last week I made a commitment to you publicly to say, man, I'm going to call my primary receiver. Remember that? That person that I'm going to call and begin a relationship with in hopes and prayer to begin to share the gospel of Jesus. So after living on the same block, six houses away, after 12 years, I called him this week. Shame on me. But I called him. It's funny how when you make a commitment publicly to 500 people, it kind of helps in the motivation of it, you know? You ought to try it one day. And this pastor was nervous. I'll be honest with you, nervous. I'm driving over. I'm like, God, man, I, I, I don't know this guy real well. Is it going to flop? Is it? What am I going to say? And before I went, I got on my knees and said, God, it's got to be you. It's got to be you. And I, I said, clothe me. See, God knew in that moment my custom tailor-made fear. 
And I got to tell you, it went more beautifully than I could have ever orchestrated, ever, ever, including the guy who sat next to us in the coffee shop two feet away with a tattoo all the way down his arm that said, Jesus. I'm like, okay, I got it. I'm with you. God's with me. No joke. I'm like, wow, look at that guy's tattoo. Hey, speaking of Jesus, there's a man. Here's why. Watch, watch this. Here's why. When we clothe ourselves with the power and the spirit of God, watch this. Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, your fear, your strength, whatever those things are. So when we say, God, I want you to custom fit me and clothe me with your power, it doesn't allow for our own strength. In other words, we threw that off and God says, let me just take every gap and fill it so that you won't be relying on anything. You know, Gideon, when he came and he conquered that vast army, he only did it with 300 men because God said, I'm going to strip you of any provision where you can take the credit at the end. David, when David faced off Goliath, he says, you're not going to be mighty weapons or strategy or an armor or bronze helmet. It's just going to be with a tiny rock because I want you to know that you have clothed yourself, not in the armor of naturalness, but clothed yourself in the power, the supernatural power of God. And that's what happens when we clothe ourselves with God. And the only reason I'm taking this off is I feel sweat going down the back of my back. You know when a superhero, think of any superhero you know. They jump in they put a costume on, right? They put some kind of costume on and it kind of makes them like have confidence. And so when we clothe ourselves with Christ, that's what he wants us to have that confidence. I mean, you know, you know, these superheroes, they're Superman, right? He comes out, he jumps in a phone booth or he used to when I grew up. And then he got this thing on. And then, of course, uh, Iron Man, he jumps in, does all that thing. And he's got season, got more confidence. And then you've got uh, Captain America, you know, he seems like he has greater strength when he's clothing, clothed up in that thing. And then, of course, you got uh, Nacho Cleo. I'm sorry. Now that's funny, is it not? Come on. <laughs> All right, take it off the screen because I'll never get your attention back. I showed it to my boys. They said, did you ask Clay first? I'm like, heck no, I didn't ask Clay first. <laughs> the voices around us and sometimes our own voices convince us that we're, we can't do it. You'll never beat the Goliath of change. And yet God said, man, you jump in the prayer booth with me and let me clothe you with power. And you'll see yourself and Goliath different. You see, when Gideon was about to, to, to fight that army, before he did, look at the, look at the loving God who wants to give us confidence, not only that we're secure in heaven, but 
that we can fight the Goliath. Judges chapter 7, verse 15. Before they even fought, God said to, to, to Gideon, The Lord has already given you the Midianite camp into your hands. Not you. The Lord has given that to you. When David was getting ready to fight Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 46, he looked in Goliath's eyes and he says, This day, he didn't say, This day I'm going to beat you up. He said, This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I'm going to go talk to my primary receiver. I'm going, hey, the Lord is going to, I'm clothed with the Lord. I feel more confident, not in my confidence. I'm confident in the, in the Lord. Philippians 4.13, we close with this. Here's the confidence that God wants us to have. I can do all things through him who clothes me, who strengthens me, who empowers me. That is this confidence that God wants us to have and change. But... But you got to tap into the account. You must tap into the account. There may be people here today, listen, that you came and you understand there needs to be a repair between you and God. Christ came for you. He died for you to position you. Can you believe it? To position you in a place where God looks through the lenses of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross, that was given on the cross, he looks at you as if you're spotless. And he wants you to have that confidence because he gives to you as the great distributor new life inside. I wonder today, for those of you that came searching, today would be the day where you say, I want to take my old self off and accept Jesus Christ as my Savior today. I wonder if that's you today. Would you join me? And prayer. Father, we're so grateful, God, of who you are, so loving, so compassionate that you don't want us in this human experience, in this natural experience, to walk around wondering, to walk around defeated, to walk around doubting, questioning. What kind of father would that be? Today we're thankful that's not you. We're thankful, God, that you want to empower us. So I pray first, God, for those of you that follow Christ, those that follow Christ in this room. And I pray, Father, that today your word has ignited in them a reality that we, God, must tap into this limitless power that whatever armor we're wearing god even now we just we envision taking it off and laying it down and envision god saying to you god clothe me today in your power and tomorrow morning we'll say to you clothe me today in your power and the day after that god clothe me in your power to get in a a regular cadence of asking you, God, to empower us so that we don't live our lives in our own strength. God, may that happen today, those decisions throughout this room. And Father, as as believers in Christ, we pray for those who are searching because every single one of us was at some point in our life. So God, we pray now for those who are sitting in our room who know at the the most interior part of their self that there's a gap that has not been repaired. 
between them and you. And if you're sitting in this room today and you think, I I want Christ, the great news is that he wants you. The great news is that he has come to, 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 he gave his life for you so to position you before the creator of this universe to be absolutely spotless, free from accusation. All you are, all God asks is that you would just in faith from your heart say to him, God, I am a sinner. I'm reaching out. I want Christ to be my savior, to rescue me and to forgive me of all my sins and empower me from the inside out with the new life of the spirit of God. There's sometimes in this moment of prayer that we just pause. And perhaps that's you today. We would never think about embarrassing anyone. So there are times in this moment of prayer that I, I want to pray for you. We had two, two men today who, who, who gave their hearts to Christ in the first service. And maybe you would today. I would ask that if that is you, you say, God, I, I'm in need of a Savior today. I want Jesus Christ to be my savior, savior, that if you would, I'm asking if you would just slip your hand up and look me right in the eyes, and then you'll put your hand right back down. I will not embarrass you whatsoever. I want to pray for you. Is there anyone in this room that would say, I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ today? If you would just slip your hand up right now. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. I know it takes courage, but no one in this room is looking around. We, Anyone else, before I close in prayer, that would say, I want Jesus Christ in my life today. Father, we're grateful, God, for those of us that came to be changed. I came to be changed, God, today. I came to rely on your power today. I know many have. So grateful, God, for this 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 hand that went up. And God, went, and maybe there are others sitting in the room that didn't quite feel comfortable. But if you're in this room and you and you are saying, "I want to, I want to ask Christ to be my Savior," I'm encouraging from, from your heart in a genuine way. You just say to God, "God, I'm a sinner, and I I know my own brokenness and my own failures, and today I'm asking Jesus Christ." into my life to forgive every sin and to empower me, to give me new life through the Spirit of God that I might live for you. I commit my life to you. I turn from my old life and I'm asking Jesus for your new life in me. Father, we praise you today for changed lives. We praise you, God, for for empowering us. We praise you, God, for loving us. And God, we we give ourselves to you uh, uh, in a new way and ask God that you would empower us to become more and more like Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.